This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted Pride of West London Christmas Social. Bees up! And we're here in the Fuller's Brewery. And everyone seems to be very happy. I wonder why that is. Obviously, I'm Billy Grant. Uh, I'm from Besotted. We've got Dave Lane here as well from Besotted. And I want to give a big thanks, as we say, to the players for coming down here tonight, making the night as it is. Big thanks to Fuller's. And also big thanks to you, the fans, for coming down. Because without you guys, we ain't going to get the night that is it. So thank you very much for your support and everything like that. Every year, we decide to have a little Christmas bees up, as we call it. Well, every year. Last year, we had the first one. There's a second one. And... Uh, Nice little vibes, and what we normally do with our bees up, as you know, our besotted socials, myself and Dave Lane here, we had a little idea, we said, tell you something, we go to football every week, and sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes it's not frustrating, but um, that's what we do on the match days, but tell you something, why don't we have some events where there's no football at all, let's kick football out of football, so we'll get all Brentford fans down, and we can just drink, have a laugh, talk about football, without any football actually spoiling the day. So that's the, that's the concept of the socials. We run about a few of them now. We've had about four or five of them. Been absolute laughs. Last year we had what Carl Hutchins. We had Richard Cadet, who had a, a, ter- had a very <laughs> so Richard Cadet last year. Um, we've had Terry Evans. We've had Marcus has done the very first one as well. Iger Anderson. We had Gary Roberts and um, and and and, and um, Alan Co- Alan Cockrum. No, jo- jo- Francis and Joseph. Joe and Francis Joseph. Uh, two absolute characters. I mean, not be funny. I'm, I'm surprised they're not doing stand-up comedy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's just ridiculous. I think, I think they're in pantomime somewhere at the moment <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's why we couldn't get hold of them like you know they're sort of playing the cockerel or something but um yeah so that's all good but you know so we're back again this year this christmas at the fuller's brewery absolutely teething tremendous beautiful beautiful venue in the hock cellar here they've taken really good care of us the fuller's people yeah we they've they've helped to set the bench really high you know so if, we, if you're gonna have socials even if you're gonna run events you want brilliant venues and i don't think you know any of the venues that we've had any of the socials in have been anything other than stunning so again you know just thanks to thanks to fuller's for allowing us to be here tonight Well, let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. We've got Brentford legend from the 90s, Big Bob Taylor, in the house. We've got a man with a, in a very rare position, actually. He's only had one club. King Kev O'Connor in the house. And then we've got a man who played for Brentford before deciding to leave us, join the crazy gang, and hang out with Vinnie Jones. Marcus Gale. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. To the right of me, I have a man who joined Brentford in 1994 from Leighton Orient. The team that, they seem to hate us. We've got no idea why they hate us. We have to ask Bob why they hate us. Played 180 games for Brentford, scored 56 goals. Laney, what percentage of uh, goals did he score? (laughs) 
27%. Marcus, what's the percentage of goals that he's he, he scored? 27%. Yeah, anybody me, anybody me out there, what percentage of goals? 37%. Oh, God, yeah, you've got no idea. It's 74%, don't you know? But, um, but anyway, so Bob scored 56 goals in 180 games for, for Brentford before moving on to Gillingham. And then he went to Manchester City, Wolverhampton Wanderers, <coughs> Queen's Park Rangers, Gillingham and other teams as well. Big Bob Taylor. Keep the questions nice, please. Now nah, listen, mate, we're just gonna we're gonna just run through your, your whole career. 366 appearances and 116 goals. That's pretty that's pretty prolific, isn't it? I mean, you know, just just talk us about your time. When you first joined Brentford, why did you decide to come to the club? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know, really to be honest with you. Um, I got called in the office one day. Uh, by Peter Eustace, who was the manager of Leighton Orient at the time, and they were strapped for cash. And they see me as a, the asset of the club at the time. I don't know why. Um, and uh, apparently Brentford put a 100 grand bid in for me, and they sold me in about a minute, I think. Um, and that's how I come to play for Brentford. But there was a few boys there who I knew anyway, like Barry Ashby and Paul Smith and that kind of players there, and uh, uh, they sort of like enticed me over as well. So, that, you know, that's why I've come across, because the, the team seemed that the club wanted to go somewhere. And um, that's why I joined the club. And, um, you know, and the fans were superb when I, you know, when I, when I joined. And it was, um, I mean, and you said you joined, I mean, so you joined from Leighton Orient where you you'd actually started scoring some goals for them. Um, you joined Brentford and that season, 1994, we were really up there. Um, we were the fifth top scorers at home with 44 goals. Um, Birmingham were the top scorers with 53. Away, we are the top away scorers by far with 37 goals. There were Oxford behind us with 36, then Swansea, Crew with 34, then Birmingham with 31. And, uh, I mean, you did very well, but it's also due very much to your partnership with fellow striker Nicky Forster. And your partnership was known as the FT Index, I would say. So, I mean, <laughs> looking... <laughs> it looked like you clocked, you know, you two from day one... You clicked, you really did. You both scored on your debut against Plymouth, which is 5-1 away. There's a little blip at home to Posh, and after that you scored in four of the next five matches. I mean, Nicky Forster, was he kind of the, the ideal striker to play with? Yeah, I was slow and he was fast. <laughs> well, what more can you say? No, Nicky couldn't win the header, and I was the one with the you know, head on a stick, and I had to flick it onto him to go score goals. And that's what it was about. I was six foot one, and Nicky had pace. Now we got on well off the pitch as well as on it, and that's the main thing. You know, we got on really well, and um, you have to have that sort of togetherness as a strike force. You know, like Dwight York and uh, and uh, was it Andy Cole? They hated each other, you know, off the pitch, but they got on well on it. You know, that's how how it was. Um, but with me and Nicky, it was totally different. We li we we liked playing with each other, not literally. Um, <laughs> oh wait, whoa. Well, I didn't drop the soap. Well. Trust me, I didn't drop the soap, honestly. Um, I never shared with him either. Never shared a room with him. Um, but yeah, you got, you got, as a strike partnership, you have to get together and, and get a bond. If you, if you don't, you'll end up saying, I'm going to score more than you today, and you'll end up having a fight and train, and who's going to, you know, and that kind of thing. It's no good for the side, really. And like Marcus can tell you as well, you have to have a good, good relationship off the pitch as well as on it. And, and tell you something, at the beginning of that season, there was, I'm just know, you might, you may not remember, this was a match which saw the quickest Brentford substitution ever. Lee Harvey was floored by Hugh Stockport at the time, I say at the time because he props up later, Kevin Francis after four seconds. Hmm. Do you remember that match? Yeah, I do, yeah. I think it was an elbow. And, and, and I mean, <laughs> what happened? I mean, did you, I mean, not be funny, if a player gets knocked out after four seconds, you know, you must be thinking, God, what's going on? Yeah, I was there? lucky because I had to go bloody mark him. <laughs> What, Kevin Francis? Yeah. Did you? And what was that? I mean, well, Lee, Lee, that? Lee, Lee was supposed to mark him and he got knocked out of the four minutes and I got the job of going bloody mark him after. Because I thought about that. What is? What was it like? Because I do remember Francis and he was massive. He was huge. He was gangly. He was really awkward. Oh, no. He always seemed to score against us. But the us. worst thing I'd done was mark him well. Ah, did you? Yeah, so every season after that I had to bloody mark him every time we played him. I know. Six foot bloody seven. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Did he, he score? Was, I was like that. I can see right up your nose. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's raining. I'll just go under there a little bit. <laughs> and did he score against you? No, did he, Hal? No. And it's interesting because you talk about the fact that you said I was slow, he was fast. I mean, you were quite a 
big chap, big Bob Taylor as well. But you were still quite agile mm. and you used to score the balls at the back of the net. So you were sort of slightly peculiar, should I say. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, good night. <laughs> we'll get your cab back, Bob. Bob. No, mate. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, but no, but it is though, isn't yeah. it? Don't you don't you think? Because normally strikers are sort of you know particular type, but you you're big. It's, it's almost like um with um big ben, big ben Burgess as well, like you know you've got these big strikers, but actually you're quite nimble and agile. You used to score the goals and cause cause a lot of problems, you know. You try to dig yourself a hole, in, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean uh, uh, I was quick till I got to about fourteen, I think. I was quick till that. I got age of fourteen. I was quick up until that point. And I sort of lost my pace a little bit. Your game, so how did you, you know, outmanoeuvre these players? I mean, how did you outthink them? Well, I mean, the thing, the thing is, centre-halves, you know, Marcus Taylor has been a striker as well, they don't like coming out of little holes. So if you drop in little holes and get it, they stay in their line, don't they, Marcus? So you can drop in little holes and get it and turn. And they've always been taught, centre-halves always been taught to stay in their slots, don't they? They don't like following centre-forwards into little holes, being dragged out. So what you do is you go in little holes, get it, and then Nicky Forster fed off of me, putting balls through to him, same as Carlos Saba did. So the same way. Evening, Bob. Evening, Marcus. <laughs> We're alive up here. Yes. Um, as a forward, and you as that sort of target man type, so to speak, and I always looked at target men as... <clears throat> They're probably a little bit more smarter than the, the regular striker due to, at times, you know, you're not going to have the pace to go in behind. So you've got to find a way yeah. how to evade that, that sort of centre-back and how to find space. So how did you really, you know, develop into that? Um, when I wasn't, I found out I weren't quick enough. <laughs> um, no, I had deceiving pace, so I got told by Peter Taylor. Um, it's, it's just it's, it's using your brain a little bit. If the, if the centre-half's quicker than you, you don't run in behind. You know, you go and show defeat, use a bit of nouse about it. Mm -hmm. um, you go and get a defeat, you turn. Sometimes you end up in, with the midfield players getting the ball, you know, and it's, it's one of them where you think to yourself, how can you affect the game more? You know, you've got centre-halves that don't want to come in and tackle you. you know, like I said, leave that, leave that little area. They want to stay in, and you just go in and get it, and you turn, and then you, they've got a problem. You know, they'll either come and, come and close you down, or you can put your strike partner in behind them. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult for him on that side of it. But I just thought to myself, I, I want to get involved in the game more. I don't want to be standing up there fighting and winning headers and getting broken cheekbones like I did one Tuesday night against Exeter when it was about 1,200 people watching the game. And, um, you know, and it's, you've got to try and change your game sometimes, you know. Um, did, did Brentford help you improve as a player after you joined? Um, maybe more... <laughs> It may be more scared. I don't mean that as an I don't mean that, but I mean, obviously, you're moving to Brentford and, yeah. and, and you're maturing as a player. Did, 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 did Brentford allow you to, to, to you know, to improve? You know? Put, it, put, it, put it this way. <laughs> put, it, put it this way. Playing under David Webb, you've got to improve. Trust me, you have to improve. Um, because if you don't improve, then you, your, your bollocks would be up in your bloody throat somewhere. Um, what was he like, Webby? Gone. Be honest now. Honestly, he's not. He's not listening. He hasn't got his. He hasn't got the craze. I'll tell you what. It might pop up somewhere. Let me believe me. You yeah, will do. You know that as well. Um, he's um, uh, a nice character. <laughs> the boys were scared of him. To be honest with you, um, we were. Um, you know, he'd come in the dressing room at half time before losing the game. He'd spit on the floor for about ten minutes before he said anything. <laughs> and then he'll go for a piss. He'll go for a piss, right? And come back, and he had a grey suit on. And he'll come back and start talking to us, and all the boys started laughing. He had a massive wet patch. <laughs> <laughs> Webby's wet patch, yeah? yeah? We're a wet patch. The old seat trousers come across the mouth, and everyone's got that behind them. <laughs> it's just so funny. And, um, you know, and every time everyone goes, when he went to the toilet, it was a patchy, patchy in the dressing room. <laughs> and when he come back, it was a wet patch. <laughs> every time. But um, Lockie used to go, uh, Kevin Locke, who was assistant at the time, He'd go to the toilet and goes, don't you dare say nothing when he comes back. And don't you dare laugh when he comes out of that toilet. <laughs> Every time we did. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was a character. I mean, he never done, done no training with us. He never done no training. It was all Kevin Locke done the training. Uh, where we would just turn up for the father's side at about half 11. Uh, he goes, we'll be doing some drills and that kind of thing with Kevin, working on shape on us for a Saturday. Where we were coming, I'll oh, scrap that. We'll play father's side. And he was always after Ige Anderson. Webby was always after him. I don't know why. I don't know if he liked him or not. I don't know. 
But he played him always on a Saturday. But in five-a-side, he used to go try to two-foot him all the time. And there's one time I'd just done a foul on him. He goes, that's a fucking free kick. Excuse me, French. That's a fucking free kick. He went, it's my ball. <clears throat> anyway, I just go, no, it ain't. He goes, push him in the face. Goes, yes, it is. And he put it down on the floor, and I just stood in front of it. He just whacked him right in the shins, kicked him on a Friday morning before a game. He just booted him in the shins. I just went down the floor going, oh. He goes, that will teach you to stand in front of my fucking ball. <laughs> we're, we're like that. Everyone's standing there, fuck me. Don't tackle him. So every, <laughs> so every time we got, every time when we got the ball, we run off. <laughs> Everyone went the other way. Don't go near him. Let him have it. Because that's what it was like, you know, just pop up out of the ground. So, and besides, like, fuck it, where'd you come from? It just pop up. He's an amazing man. He really was. But he got you playing for him because you daren't come in at half time losing. You just didn't, you know. But, you know, he's, he's, he's one of them characters, and uh, we learnt a lot from Kevin Locke about him. I bet. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> you went on a five hour journey back from a away game. We heard all back, about Webby's life and the, your home. You know, his five hour journey is normally boring back from a away game. But Lockie used to tell some stories and you, you oh, we're here now, lads. And it's like, are we? Fucking hell. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, it's amazing. So that first season, okay, we, wrote, we yo-yoed between 7th and 10th up to December. And that season, we're picking up form. Um, at that stage, we lost to Huddersfield at home. We were knocked out the FA Cup by Cambridge in a replay. Um, did you think the season had gone to pop by then? You know. Um, we knew we had the players. Um, it's just one of them times you're going for a bit of a bad time like you always do don't you? as a club you, you know you go about five or six games where things aren't going right for you and you've got to try and work out yourselves I mean the manager can say whatever but it's down to the players to put it right um, it wasn't about team selection or not because we, we had a very good side then very good good side um, I mean you talk about players like Kevin Dearden <laughs> Shane Wesley Barry Ashby yeah. Jamie Bates Bob Booker mm. Paul Smith the governor yeah. you know as is Ian well he left he got injured I think he left Ian Benjamin Gus Hurdle yeah. um, Billy Manuel Hutchie who was here last year yeah, yeah. Martin Granger mm. Statham Denny I mean some really you know it was a great team wasn't it yeah it was but you know we got got to the, as you know the Wembley playoff final um, you know and we've and then we'd be changing the team around for some point you know, I don't know why he did it for. But then the following season, obviously, we lost out on that and we got relegated. But that, during that season, players started moving on and no one was coming in. And it was funny, one day we went into the... I took my transfer request into Webby, into the office. Silly mistake. <laughs> Silly mistake. For Jamie Bates, it was, not for me. I went in first and I gave him the letter over because he said, what's this? I said, transfer request, what for? I said, well, you've let six, seven players go and no one's come in. I said, we, um, this, is, this is to get, your, get players in, to say, look, we want more players in, we want to go somewhere with a football club. And he turned around, there's a door, see you later. So I walked out, I went to Jamie as he stand outside with his transfer request, all the best mates, how was he? I said, he was fine. <laughs> <laughs> he was absolutely fine. He goes, don't worry, Rob, I'll sort it out, I'll get players in. Jamie went in, I stood outside, there was two secretaries stand outside as well, and he went, what the fuck is this? You don't bring a fucking transfer request into me, I'll fucking rip your fucking head off. Not about that <laughs> <laughs> I'm outside laughing, I tears on over my face, he goes, you're a <laughs> you are. <laughs> yeah. He said, you got a lonely. <laughs> he got ripped to shreds, he did, honestly. Oh, man, oh, he came out like that. <laughs> And I just wet myself at him, but there you go. Yeah. I went back and told the lads, though. I went, huh? Patchy. Yeah, yeah, Patchy, yeah. I went back and told the lads, though, what <laughs> happened. So, listen, that's, that, just talking about that season as well, because, like I said, it was going a little bit peat on, you know, um, towards that, but then there was a big turnaround. The turnaround that season was probably the match. It was exactly 23 years ago tomorrow. And I remember that because it was the last Christmas shopping day before Christmas. I remember it very well because I actually opted to go Christmas shopping that day. Other than going to Brentford. Yeah. Good supporter then. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. That's a bit patchy, that one, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> and what's worse, I actually missed Brentford spanking Plymouth 7 0. And that was a turnaround, and you scored a hat trick on that day as well, didn't you? And do you remember that? Did that turn everything around? Did that get everything going? Was the, the wheels start turning again? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. I think that was a year when Birmingham went up, didn't they? The only one went up that year, wasn't it? And yeah. we finished second, didn't we? Um, see, I do remember. Alzheimer's hadn't kicked in yet. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, it, I think we, had it, we had it in us, you know, to do that. Because we had the squad and 
the boys are together, you know, you, you go down for your meals on a Friday night, you know, in the hotels and you mess about, you throw food at each other, you know, the camaraderie was superb. And for us, it was like, it was like we're all kids, you know, in a, in a school still, do you know what I mean? We're all pissing, yeah. You know, you felt like you had mates all the way around you. Sounds like our train journey is home from away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. That's what it's got to be like, you know. But then when it comes to the serious stuff, you're all in it together and, you, and it's a bit, you know, the togetherness was there, you know. It, it, was, it was superb. And I think from that, like you say, it's from the 7-0 Plymouth game, kicked on us for the rest of the season, yeah. So... I mean, that was wicked. We had a great Christmas. We beat Chester 4-0, Oxford 2-0, Cardiff 3-2 just after New Year. We played our 3,000th game, Brentford 3,000 game, away to Hull, which mm. saw us go second. Mm. And then a week later, we were top. We beat Cambridge 6-0 at home mm. with agent Billy Manuel, who did our last social, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. sent off. Yeah. Um, you must remember that because you, you remember the goal you scored. Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. Talk us through it. It's a shank. I shanked it. From 35 yards? Yeah. Yeah, shanked it. I just shut my eyes and hope for the I've best. I've seen that face on some of these pictures. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go and lay it for you. Do some gurning. So you scored a 35-yard goal. It was a 3,000 game and it put us top of the league. Um, the dressing room must have gone bonkers afterwards. Yeah, it's like I said before. I mean, the boys, was, we had a great togetherness. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of them things that you don't want to leave. You know, but when you see players and going out the door, when you've got that togetherness... You know, and you see players leaving, that does hurt you a lot, you know, as a player and also as a, as a team. And I think that's what affected in the years to come after that, with the relegation and that kind of thing. But the, the boys that were there, it was just a great togetherness, and that's why we had the achievement what we did. I mean, obviously, to give us off the pitch, but also you used to do training sessions, um, and your coaches were uh, Dave Thomas and Stanley Bowles. Yeah, Stan, yeah, like? yeah. Oh, Stan used to come in all the time and play, yeah. Where we used to say it's a five, we'd have a week where it's just five aside days because Stan said so. <laughs> Stan would say, I'm coming in training every day of the week and I want five aside games. So we'll come in training. He goes, Where we come and go, Stan said it's five aside days. Like, okay, then Stan would come out there, put his boots on, come outside, and he'll just rip everyone to bits. You know, and everyone's trying to get near him. But Webby goes, Don't tackle him because he's old. Oh, right. <laughs> it's an order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in order. But he he was top class. You know, come in the dressing room and that, and talk to the lads and everything. And um, you know, Stan was you know a big part of you know that as well. You know, with the, the the success that we had because seeing someone like that coming in the dressing room and talking to you about things, how we used to do things, and he said you know five pound here and five pound there, and he said and I used to earn five pound playing and this kind of thing, and it puts things in perspective for you, you know. I said, well, Stan, we're only getting £10 playing here, mate, you know, so it's not a not, lot more than what you were getting. Um, so, you know, it's, it's um, you know, to see someone like that come in and talk to you was, was fantastic, you know, for what he achieved as well in the game. So look, look, that season, because we haven't bangled this season, because this was a big season for Brentford. I mean, we had a 14-match unbeaten run till mid-Feb. Um, we dipped a little bit before retaining top spot in March. We had a 2-0 win away to Rotherham. They're forced to score yet again. Um, and then early April, again, early April, we're neck and neck with Birmingham. I think actually we might have even been three points ahead of Birmingham when we clashed with them at St Andrews. And that game, again, a lot of people might have gone to that game, but that game for me was absolutely phenomenal. Like, you know, um, Nicky Forster remembers the atmosphere and he talked about the atmosphere saying how massive it was, how huge the rivalry was, how how nasty and just kind of horrible it was. Do you remember walking out on the pitch? Because I remember we walked into the stadium and it was 100% the most ferocious atmosphere I have ever, ever felt in my whole life going to football. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's not a very nice place to go to, St Andrews, to be honest, to play. Um, you know, the, the, obviously, you know, like you said, it's like top-of-the-table clash and it's... The, the nerve, it's, the nerves on the game is so much, so much big getting promotion on the, on that game, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. Uh, yeah. Mark, 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 you want a drink? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, the atmosphere was spot on. You know, a full house inside St Andrews at the time, you know, and uh, we we thought we were the underdogs as such. You know, then Birmingham, big club, aren't they? Bigger than Brentford at the time. And uh, we thought to ourselves... We ten, ten, ten times bigger than Brentford, well, apparently. Yeah, well, ten times. So. <laughs> At the time, they were. <laughs> Not now, though. Um, but, 
you know, it was, it's, it's always tense games like that. You know, Marks and Teddy as well, playing big games like that, it's a bit nervous, isn't it, when you're going out there, you, you, you're still getting butterflies, you're getting nervous of the game, you think, oh my God, don't make a mistake, you know, it could be a mistake that cost you the, the game, you know. Can I just go back to Dave Webb briefly? I yeah. mean, um, Dave Webb, as from a fan's perspective, was our nemesis, you know. Yeah. You talk about yeah. that era where he was selling all the players and, you know, we, we, we thought as fans he was... He was posturing himself to take over and he was he was in it for himself were, were you aware as a player you know um, of the fans hatred of him um, did you did you see the demos and did seeing us waving red cards did that affect you did it affect you uh, we just ignored it because at the end of the day um, you're there to to play football for the football club you know and uh, you know at the end of the day the, the supporters like managers they don't like managers it happens all around the world you know world you know in football now people like you know, you get 50% of the supporters don't like the manager. You know, some supporters at Manchester City, you know, I don't like Pep Guardiola, you know, Guardiola. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's done what he's done. Um, Webby was a different character. You know, he'll take things on the chin because he had a massive chin. Yeah, did a big cleft in his Massive chin. chin. <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah boxing glove head. We called boxing glove head, yeah. like a valley yeah. between his two chins. Yeah, we had, we had, a, we had a, in, the, in the dress room at uh, training, we had a boxing glove with his name written on it. Every time he walked in, we hit it, obviously. Um, but it said Mr. Webb on it. Everybody's coming in and punch it every morning, punch the, the, the glove, like get it knuckles. Um, we loved him, really. Um, but he was, yeah. But he, he was a, um, a, he's one of them managers who you'd hate, love and hate. Do you know what I mean? You know, he, he, he'll get you to play for him the next minute. He's down your throat, shouting at you. You know, he's, he's got one of them mentalities of, he can't pick no one up to make him better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's, that was his character. And that's where he come from, didn't he? Chelsea and, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't know. He's just, just a funny bloke. I've got a couple questions. Uh, first one, how do you feel about the modern game compared to how you played back in the mid-90s? Mm -hmm. And going back to your partnerships, because for me, in our time, it was about the centre-forward partnerships. Yeah. They sort of made yeah. the story. Yeah. Um, and in the modern game now, you don't really sort of see those sort of partnerships. How do you mm. feel about you know, the modern day game? And how would you feel in it now? A bunch of pussies in the model, modern day game. <laughs> Fucking hell. Not allowed to tackle. What's that about? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can't even put your elbow in the air, can you? To win the header. What's that about? Um, I just think it's gone too tippy-tappy for me, uh, to be honest with you. Tippy-tappy football, as I call it. Um, you know, I watch some games and you see about three shots on goal. If you go back years ago, you see about 30 shots on goal. You need you know? to come down tomorrow and you see a few down there. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's where the, it's, it's gone out of the game, the excitement a little bit. You know, it's gone out of the game a little bit. And I think you've got to get back to the old launch balls in the box and get people in there, yeah. like, get in the mixer. Do you know what I mean? Get in the mixer. And fan, fans love that. You so know? what was the best sort of position for you or... Who played in the position that where you got the most assists or the most sort of strikes at goal? Played with? Yeah. <laughs> Who would be your source? Where would your goals sort of come from? Well, not being funny, Martin Granger could ping a pass. Yeah. You know, um, Every time he got the ball and he's on the halfway line, I know I could peel off the centre half and he'd just find you on a sixpence. You know, and you can make that move all the time. Some players you think, I'll just stand here all day. Do you know what I mean? Because you're not going to get it off him. Because he ain't very good, he ain't gonna reach you, mm -hmm. but he could ping a ball, you know. And like down in Teatro, Man City, he can get a ball, and he can't he can't find you with that pass though. He'll just get his, he's a good player, you know. Australian footballer, he'll get it and run with it all the time. And you think to yourself, you make the run, you think it peeled off, and then he's looking for you for feet, and you've already peeled off. You think so, well, I want it you know, over the top. So it's, Martin knew what he wanted, you know. He could see it straight away. He can see you peel off, he'll pick you straight out, yeah. and and he could just knock it back down for Nicky to score again. You know, and then, then, and then Nicky get the accolades in the paper the next day. Nicky Forster scores again. It's all right. I've got a bruised eye. You know, I've just run a header, and you know, I've got a lumpy ear. And but um, you know, it's 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 play. You got to, like I say, you got to have that togetherness in the team and know which what player does what mm -hmm. for you. There's no point me peeling off. Like I said about Danny Tiato, Man City can't pick you out. Martin Granger can. So it's about knowing your players. Ian Bishop, another player, mm. good player. Him, he could find a pass straight away. He'll find a pass for you. Made the run. He'll be yeah. on the ball going, are you going to run today or what? No. 
and he'll play that ball. Do you know what I mean? So it's all about knowing your players, as you know. It's, it's about knowing what players can do for you, what their strengths are, and what their weaknesses are. Yeah. Um, final question, then. I know I've said two, but there's a third one. Um, if you could name your best sort of strike partner, and what were the things that made it that good? Who? <laughs> Joe Amigi. <laughs> I don't think I ever played with him, did I? <laughs> Not literally again. <laughs> I don't think I played with Joe, I don't think, did I? I can't remember. Probably about two or three games, I should imagine. Um, I don't know, really. I mean, it's you compliment each other on the pitch, really. Um, you know, you assist them by, you know, Nicky Forster, Carlos Saba, Sean Goat was one of the worst players I played with, but he scores goals, you know? He, he can't track, track a bag of cement. Um, and everything that he'd score off his cock, off his elbow, shoulder, <laughs> off his bloody ear. And he'll come away with 40 goals a season. Do you know what I mean? Oh, no. Just, just... It's just one of them things. I mean, we played, we, played the, we played a game at home against Fulham. And he didn't score one good goal. He got three that day and he didn't score one. Good goal. Ball came over his shoulder and he went to volley it, hit his knee and went in the top corner. You know, you think, so what's going on? Another shot hit him in the belly, in the, in the, in the chest here and went straight in the goal. You know, one boy hit a shot, he deflected off and went in the goal and he got a hat-trick for it. Not one good goal. Why couldn't I have something like that? Do you mean? But I'm out there flicking things on, cutting hold of it, playing the wingers in. He's in the box, and what's going on? Um, Bill, have you got a question about Huddersfield? No, don't mention that. Don't mention Huddersfield. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Bob, I scored my penalty, honestly. <laughs> so listen, so listen, Bob. We, oh, come on. We, we, we obviously we, we fluffed it against Birmingham City. Yeah. Okay, but we got yeah. over that, yeah. and we went up to uh, to Huddersfield. I knew this would come up. I knew this would come up. Bob, what, what we need to do? No, yeah. don't play it. You do. You do you're not match play it. You do match of the day. You're not going to play it, are you? You do match of the day. <laughs> so what happened? Tell us, Bob. What happened? When you were in front of the goal, I mean, it was there. It was the goalkeeper was missing. Come on. That was all the uh, photography lights behind the goal. <laughs> got me eyes a little bit. <laughs> no, it was just uh, one of them things where. I thought it was an easy chance and took me half the ball and, and it hit the top of my foot. Took a little, about 45 bobbles. Hit the top of my foot. Um, there is, in the 90s book, which I've just given you, a, there is an amazing photograph that's got the whole of the Brentford end and Bob's, you know, I'm not, gonna, I'm not rubbing salt in, but the, you know, he's, he's missed, the, missed the target. But half the, half the stand is standing up celebrating a goal and the other half is kind of like... <laughs> In, like contorted in like oh my god I'll, burn, I'll burn that page no no, no yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not but it's, a, it's a, as a photograph it's quite special yeah. <clears throat> so we won't go to the second half it's one all you know um, Neil Warnock as manager as well and he managed to concoct a a win and so that was it our playoff loss was there and it was, it was if I remember right as well for me it was, it was like a knife through the heart because for us it was the first time that Brentford might have actually really really done something we were so close and we were actually really good that, that, that season and um, it didn't didn't quite quite happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it was a really exciting team. It, we you know we we deserved to go up. In in any other season, we would have gone up. And it's just it sucks that that was the one year that only one got promoted. So you know, how 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 do you go about picking yourselves up from from that? Where did you go after the season? Well, it's, it's half everyone. It's just keeping the players together for the next season, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, but you see, we've got the Bristol City. You know, semi-final as well. We got there and beat them, and uh, beat them quite comfortably as well. And that was a good night. Um, but obviously, the crew game was shit. We were crap on the day, and there's, you know, nothing we can say about that. You know, played well all season, crap on the day. No, but you, I mean, you did talk about turning up at the game and you know it not being the team that you thought it was going to be. You know, there was as there was there was Chinese whispers going around that it was thrown. I mean, I can't imagine that for one minute. But you know, you you were you were turning up expecting to play a certain way, and it, it didn't happen. Yeah, we did. We, I mean, we were working all week, training to a certain team, to a certain system, and then we get to the game and he changes three players around. And with, we, he said to me. David McGee's playing up front with you and five players went what? And he went that's how it's going to be and that's what it's going to be like and Carlos I was playing left side midfield and we were like what's going on here? What's going on? He scored 40 yard goals each you know between us and um, he's putting them at left side midfield and we didn't understand it didn't understand it at all and I think it had a big effect on the team as such because leading up to that final we were playing well 
and uh, beating Bristol City, you know, away and at home as well. And it's, it's you know, I just think we didn't get the decision. Um, you know, it's not as harsh as Tony Pulis getting sacked before the Gillingham Man City final at Wembley. You know, he got sacked at quarter to two before the game. And he came in the dressing room and said to us, boys, this is my last game in charge, I've just been sacked. You know, <laughs> what effect that's going to have on you as a player, you know? Did, did Dave Webb come into the dressing room before the game at Wembley? Did he give you a team talk or was there any kind of motivation? Did, once you saw the team sheet, did you have any more interaction with him? Um, we didn't really. Um, he'd walk in, spit a few times in the dressing room like he always does and just says, go out there and do your best. And that was it, really. We worked on it all week and, and see what we can do. But it's, it's, it's just a surreal day. It's just like wasn't, we walked out there and it wasn't us, if you know what I mean. It wasn't Brentford, Brentford team out there. It weren't a togetherness out there. It was like, it was, it was just funny. I mean, there's a picture of you in the 90s book um, where you're, you're clearly kind of distraught at the end of the game. So, you know, you obviously have put your heart and soul into that season. Um, you scored a lot of goals. The, you know, you'd gone very close to achieving promotion. So, you know, did it not feel just a bit odd that, you know, the circumstances on the day are contrived to kind of rob you of, of what should have been glory, really? Well, it did. I mean, at the end of the day, the boys, they sort of left, the, they left that, that summer. And that just summed it up for me, you know. Uh, just summed up what they thought of the, the... It's not the club. They want to stay at the club. You talk to the boys now and they'll say the exact same thing. I want to stay at the club, you know. But Webby wouldn't discuss no contracts, wouldn't discuss nothing with noth nobody. He'll give you a £25 pay rise, that's what he'd say, you know. And that was his limit. That's what I'd go up to. Don't matter who you were, what player you were, if you're, you know, worth a million pounds, you get £25 pay rise. That is it. That's what it would give you. And the boys went on a lot of money at the club. Billy, do you want to... What did you remember of the game at, at Crew at Wembley? Do you remember anything? I don't remember that much actually because Billy I was fell asleep during the whole game. <laughs> but anyway, we got we got a barge from Brentford all the way to Wembley, pretty much. Then a then a, and Billy fell asleep during the whole game. It was I, to be fair, I, I'd organised the boat, so it was the pressure of organising was obviously far too much for me. So by the time I got to the game, I, I took the opportunity, as we say, we like to kick football out of football. And if there was one game you had to kick football out of football, it was that, that game, because it was absolutely horrendous, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was. So I, I decided to take a kick for 90 minutes, and I didn't miss much as far as I'm concerned, did I, Bob? <laughs> no, you didn't, know. <laughs> I don't think we had a shot, I don't think, no, the whole game. Probably not. I, look, I saw the replay, and I, and I you know, it lasted, uh, yeah. the highlights lasted about sort of one and a half minutes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about players coming as well. Um, and one player who came, who featured very high, we had a Misfits poll, as uh, the Besotted uh, listeners would know here. We had a Misfits poll, which was basically, we, we polled players who we felt were Misfits at Brentford, who came to Brentford, and they didn't quite work out. That's misfits. a bit harsh, isn't it? <laughs> a bit harsh. Oh, I don't know. Murray Jones, you know, he was a Misfit. You know, he was a Misfit, you know. Who, who the hell's that? Um, but there's Who's one... Murray Jones? That there was, oh, was it? Oh, it? <laughs> But there was one player who came to Brentford. Basically, the, 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 the premise of it is the player who came with high expectations, came to the club, didn't do very much, and then they left, and they might have gone and Sorry, done. that's me, sorry. <laughs> so, no, no, not and at Marcus. all, if it did well. But um, one player who, who came in this and was polling very high, almost got to the final, almost, Paul Davis. What was going on there? I thought Paul was superb. What was that with Paul? Nothing wrong with Paul? When he played for Brentford? Yeah, Paul's all right, wasn't he? And, he? and it's always hard. People don't understand. It's always hard to come drop down levels to play. It is though, isn't it? For the game's much quicker. You know, you get much time on the ball. You know, it's all hustle and bustle, which it was at the time. You know, he's always used to getting it. He's got players, quality players around him, you know, to play with. He can just do one touch with players. You know, not being disrespectful to us at the time as players, you know, we needed three or four touches to get hold of the ball. You know, he was looking, he's always look, thinking one step ahead as a player, and some of our players, you know, some of us lot weren't, because he's always one step ahead. He's always thinking, oh, can I play there? And it, no one's there to get it off him, and suddenly he's getting tackled. You know, and that's, 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 that's how it is. You know, they're already one step ahead of the lower league, league players. You know, you find that if you get players, you drop down from the Premiership or you get a player going from Brentford to League Two, they'll struggle in League Two. They would do, because it's all hustling and bustling and quicker. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's true that you say that because I actually met Paul Davis after that. And I said, by the way, I'm Billy. I'm a Brentford fan, and he went, "Oh my God, Brentford! What a nightmare!" He goes, "I went there. I said he played. I played like two games, and people were flinging themselves all over the place and flying all over the place." Yeah. And he goes, "I'm out, mate. I'm, yeah. I, I can't be dealing no, with this." No, they're not used to it. They're not used to that kind of that high intensity of a game. You know, obviously things have changed now over the years. That's a bit slower, but Paul's used to playing with ten. 50 million pound players at a time, you know, who give them one touch football, they'll pass and move. Whereas is like, we'll send it 70 yards down the pitch and miss him out completely. Do you know what I mean? And that's what it was then. And you, you know, you're honest enough to say, you know, you said you're slow, um, but not that slow, but no, no, I was no, right. no, but no, but you, you know, you scored deceiving. A, but you scored, base. you scored enough goals to get, a, you know, get the gig at Man City. So yeah. there was something about your game that was was desired and wanted, and you know, you scored a lot of goals wherever you've been. Yeah. You know, what, what was that like? That move to Man City, playing in front of you know all, all of that, all of those huge fans at the at the main road. Um, I didn't want to leave Gillingham, uh, to be honest with you. I didn't want to leave Brentford either. Um, you know, Brentford offered me a great deal to stay. You know, Ron knows come in as the chairman. He offered me a lot of money, a lot of money to stay. He trebled my wages to stay. But it wasn't the money. It was about players coming in. You know, was he going to bring players in? That kind of thing. And for me, he weren't bringing no one in. You know, it's... it's it's all right buying players and getting them. You know they're going to make your team stronger. Yeah. So would yeah. you would you make a Brentford 2017? Oh, the play plays good. I mean, the football you're playing at the moment is superb. We were talking about earlier with Marcus that the the games you're playing. I mean, I would come watch the Norwich game and you outplayed them. You know, outplayed them and that. And I think it was nil nil. It finished. You know, and um, it's it's just getting that striker and bang goals in for you week in and week out. That's what you need, isn't it? Just that main lazy striker. <laughs> Not talking about myself. I'll leave the lazy out. You need that striker. Yeah. He would just sit in the in the in the box and score goals for you. That's what you need. Football some yeah, but yeah, but sometimes now teams sit in now and let you play. You know, you have got to try and break them down. You know, like teams have worked at Liverpool a little bit now recently. You know, they sit in and let them try and break them down, which they like counter attacking. You know, um, do you, do you think? Um, Hogan was a big loss to you. Uh, no. God, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I've been watched him about five or six times. I don't rate him one bit. He makes stupid runs. I spoke to John Ruddy, so friends with John Ruddy, and I spoke to him after the game and went, you know, saw him. I said, he goes, Scott, he makes some good runs that Hogan does. I said, are you watching a different game to me? You know, if there's a centre-half, he's easy to pick up. You know, I've watched him loads of times. He doesn't create enough chances. Doesn't get enough shots on goal. You know, I'm thinking to myself, why is everyone rating him? Why are they, why are they raving about him for? Watched him six or seven times last year. You know, I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? You know, why is everyone raving about him? Perhaps I'm missing something. I don't know. Well, he scores goals. That's, that's one of his main assets. Yeah, he scores goals. Well, he scored. He's, he, he scored two in seven games. I watched. You know, I'm. I don't know, I didn't, didn't rate him what he does. I don't, and he hasn't played now, is he? Um, Bob, you, in a way, I think you sort of talk yourself down a little bit at times. Um, I, did you actually prefer playing right up top, or did you prefer it when you came a bit deeper and you could be more involved in the game? Because I always thought you had great feet and you were, really, you know, you were a decent player um, for us and, um, and you read the game really well. So I always thought you could be wasted playing up top right up the top and you were if you got more involved in the game I thought you really were an asset to the team where did you prefer playing? Because um, the, the players I play with they always like to play on the shoulder players so they want to feed off me a little bit if I flick things on so when you come out against centre half who wins all the headers in the air against you and he's a bit stronger than you you've got to try and change your game a little bit so you should drop in and get it you know link up the player a little bit you have Paul Smith who liked to burst forward so the ball's into my feet I knew Smudge would burst off, so I'd just play a first time pass off to him. Now that's that centre half out of the game, then. Do you know what I mean? Come and close you down. Then it, you, you create a 2v1 situation in the middle. And um, it's, it's just who, it all depends who you play with, really. You know, if you play with a fellow who's a target man, you know, when I played with Sean Go at Man City, it was like, what does he do? You know, he, he's not a target man, or he don't run in behind. It's just a bit weird playing with him. Um, and. I started getting my, my injuries at Man City a little bit, my calf issues I had and Achilles issues I had there. Um, but it was, it was like 
Sean was a, a rare breed of a player. You know, he could just hit anything or whatever. It just hit him and go in the goal. He scored 40 goals and, and probably 39 of them have hit him somewhere, you know, and gone in. Um, but he, he never scored a wonder goal. He wouldn't pick up the ball 30 yards and strike it in the top corner. He's not one of them players. Um, but he's just always in the right place at the right time, you know. So it just all depends who you're playing with, really, what, how you adapt your game. If I remember correctly, you scored the goal that sent Man City back up to the Premiership. How now, since they've become like a massive club, do they still remember you and treat you respectfully? Or do, have they lost their identity completely? They lost their identity. <laughs> um, for me, it was... It was it's a real night because I had a lot of injury problems, you know, stemming playing up there. And every time I didn't train hardly during the week, but Gerald would play me on a Saturday because I'll bring so much to the team by holding the ball up, bringing people into play and make the best out of Sean, you know. Um, and it was like, he'd say, you don't need to train till Thursday or Friday, we'll rest you and you just play Saturdays. But I didn't feel sharp in games anyway, but I'd, I'd play the full 90 minutes. Um, the goal against Birmingham was a fantastic night for me. Um, the supporters were sort of like saying what a waste of money certain things and that about me but then I started playing well three or four games leading up to that and they thought oh we've got a good player here and that night summed up for me uh, and then we beat Black, uh, Blackburn away on the last day got promoted and then the following pre-season we were I played every single pre-season game started it and George Weir came to the club I was playing up front with George Weir which you know fantastic footballer and we got cracked off really well Sean Goat couldn't get in the team Paul Dickoff couldn't get in the team and um, just for family reasons, I won't go into that because my partner's here and she'll kill me. Um, not, not, not to do due to her, to, to me ex. Um, I had to leave Man City, uh, which is due to her, not me. Um, and she wanted to come back further south. And I didn't want to leave Man City because I was playing every week. You know, you don't want to give up something playing the Premiership, do you? But I had a phone call with Joe Rawls, said I'd have my, ex, well, my ex-wife in the office talking to him, saying she's unhappy about being up north and she wants to move further south. So he turned around and said to me, if we get an offer in for you for what we pay for you, we'll let you go. Within three hours, they got an offer from Wolves and about another ten other clubs. And I didn't want to leave. And I especially didn't want to go to Wolves. And I ended up going to bloody Wolves. <laughs> All right, got railroaded into that one. But then the injuries occurred and I played about eight games in two and a half years. And there were some things said about me there and saying... Um, they released me, but I cancelled my own contract. I phoned up, and this is the truth, I phoned up Jess Moxie, who was a chief executive at the time, who was a total <laughs> A fat, see <laughs> I won't swear, some women here. Yeah, it's Friday, a <laughs> Right? Yeah, so, sorry ma'am, sorry ma'am. There's no witnesses here. Yeah. No witnesses. She's, a, she's a too. Um, <laughs> Everyone's a <laughs> um, It's Friday, everyone's a um, Even Santa's a They were pretty well one for Christmas. Um, and I had a lot of injuries. I phoned up Jez Moxie and said, on the last transfer deadline day in March, I remember it rightly, 2003, I turned around and said to him, I ain't coming back, this is half past four. It's normally five o'clock on transfer deadline day, and all deals had to be done by, didn't they? On the last Thursday of the month. And I turned around and said, I ain't coming back. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I ain't coming back to your club. I had operations on my calves and my gallbladder removed and it took them 15 months to sort them two out, right? And I didn't even play a game within that 15 months. And I was in pain with my gallbladder for seven months and I, was, I lost four and a half stone in weight and they couldn't work out why, right? So I turned around to the local doctor, the family doctor, which I shouldn't do, you have to stay with your club's doctor. I turned around and said to him, I said, look, this is a joke. And he goes, bloody hell, look at the state of you. You know, I was grey, flipping, you know, lost my hair, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We, you know how I feel, do you? You know how I feel, yeah. We feel it. Um, you're feeling me, you're feeling me, you're feeling me. Axe is a few in you feeling me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, and I, I, I got fined a week's wages for that, right, going to my local doctor. Anyway, he booked me in for an ultrasound scan done. He had family uh, gallstones, gallbladder problem, and he said, you're going in tonight for operation because you could die tomorrow. That's how bad it was. I went to sue Wolves 
and then I got told not to. All right, I got told not to. The same with my um, my calves. Uh, blood flow was poor, and that was affecting my heartbeat. And it took them six months to 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 get an operation on that as well. So I went to see them, and that was it. So I phoned up Jason Box and said, "I'm not coming back." So he done me a deal on money side of it, and I, he said, "Why why are you leaving?" I said, "Because you're paying me for not playing for one." And I said, "Plus I've been treated like a twat." And that was me finished, done. So people were saying, oh, I got released from the club because they didn't want him. A load of rubbish. I was going in for six months into the gym on my own and didn't see a physio in six months. Not one physio. That's how bad it was there. Me and Andy Sinton, you know Andy Sinton used to play here, yeah, England. He was doing the exact same thing, never spoke to him at all, neither. So we go in the physios, in the gym, sorry. First thing in the morning at half past nine, I'll be home by 11. Didn't even notice you were there. Didn't even bother you here. Didn't bother. So that's me done, finished, career over. So there you go. Sorry about your question. <laughs> <laughs> Went on a bit long, sorry. <laughs> listen, at the end of it, even now, listen, Bob Taylor, big, big Bradford hero. Listen, you know, whatever's happened, you were here for years and people very, very much remember you. You, Nicky Forster, together, you know, played together, scored goals for us. You're absolutely fantastic for the Bees. And from the Sotty crew, it's a present for you as well, mate. You know, it's a gift for you from back in your days at Brentford. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob, Bob Taylor. And if you go to besotted.com, go to the menu, click on podcasts, and you can check out the Kevin O'Connor section of this Christmas social. Also, we have our end of season social on Friday the 4th of May in Ealing. We have some big guests lined up. Make sure you're signed up. Go to besotted.com and click on the social button. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.